I should mention, John the 23rd did not die uh, on October 11th. He, in fact, this died in June. But the feast is on October 11th to mark the anniversary of the opening of the Second Vatican Council. And that, uh, by everyone's measure, is his great contribution uh, to Catholic history. I think it's fair to say that many, maybe most Catholics today, don't really have much of a picture or a feel for what the Church was like or even what the world was like uh, before the beginning of the Second Vatican Council. I've mentioned uh, that I was, uh, had my first communion uh, in the 1950s, and so I do remember a little bit, uh, but I didn't pay much attention, I have to say, and fell away from the Church in my teens. But um, right now, because we've had so many problems to look at, uh, priest shortage, uh, then a, sc- a scandal, then the closing of parishes and schools and you know, short confessional lines. People ask, why? What's the problem? And oftentimes, all these grievances and, and disappointments are bundled up together and then laid at the door of the Second Vatican Council. Is that fair? Is that helpful? Well, one thing that is helpful is to try to better understand where we are today and what our circumstances owe to the Second Vatican Council. We're going to be looking at that. Uh, my guest will be uh, Stephen White, who's executive director of the Catholic Project at Catholic University of America. He's also a fellow in Catholic Studies at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and uh, wrote a piece called A Long View of Vatican II uh, for the Catholic thing, which got my attention. And Stephen, it's good to have uh, make your acquaintance. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. You're a little younger than I am. So uh, what's your young years? What, uh, what do you remember of the Church as you were growing up and beginning to receive the sacraments? Well, I was I was born just after the start of the Reagan administration. Okay, um, so I was born in in early 1981, mm-hmm. um, and my earliest experience of the of the church was um, a church that had already experienced a, a, a decade or so of of turbulence and chaos in the wake of the Second Vatican Council, mm-hmm. but it was also um, um, you know, by the time I was aware of what was going on, we were the better part of a decade into the pontificate of Pope John Paul II. So I'm very much of the of the John Paul II generation okay. that that came of age, um, seeing the aftermath of the Second Vatican Council, learning about it secondhand as as a time of chaos, a, a silly season, as a friend of mine has has had put it. <laughs> but but that the pontificate of John Paul II was sort of was um, stabilizing things and being a corrective. To that and there was a lot of optimism in my generation, um, especially coming into the '90s and early 2000s. There was a great deal of optimism. Okay, and I think uh, you know when I wrote when I wrote the essay uh, on this long view of Vatican II, I was thinking about um, uh, about the legacy of of the Council. On it's, a, it's an older article I wrote a couple right. of years ago. Yeah, I saw that, but it was around the anniversary, and 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 uh, you know evaluating things that have gone wrong in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes you're right, but sometimes you just have to back up a little bit. Um, I feel like the Church right now is a little bit, or might be a little bit, like like the Israelites who've been, <laughs> you know, gone through this great moment of 
of being freed and liberated, and then they head out into the desert and they spend 40 years grumbling and complaining right. about what's happened to them. Yes. And yes. they can't see what God is doing, despite his promises, because of the suffering that they're involved. Now, I don't, I don't know that the Second Vatican Council will turn out exactly the same way that the Exodus turned out, but I think <laughs> it's worth considering the possibility that the troubles that we see now, the challenges we see now, aren't the whole story. So then you might see the Second Vatican Council not as the source or the origin of these problems, but um, as a way the Church was trying to get ahead of the problems that were coming. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, if you look at, um, you know, everybody knows that Shortly after the council, things went a bit haywire, at least in certain parts of the West in the church. Oh, yeah. You had clown masses, and you had all, you know, you know, massive exodus from the priesthood, and especially from the religious life. You had a decline in sacramental practice, uh, practice among Catholics. Um, sacramental discipline fell off. People stopped taking things seriously. Liturgy became ultra-mundane. Our churches got ugly and all the rest of it. Mm. And everybody thinks, well, that happened after the council, therefore it was caused by the council. Right. Um but but all the people who thought these bad changes were a good idea were around before the council. And if you look more carefully, the changes, both in the Church and certainly in society at large, were already in motion well before the council. Right. The, the, the sexual revolution that hit the West in the 1960s was already in motion uh, when the council convened. Mm-hmm. You know, we think of 1968, 1969, we think of the low decade of the 1970s as sort of being epitomizing the sexual revolution but that was already coming yeah that was already coming the 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 um the, the playboy well of the playboy way of life, life was a 1950s phenomenon people forget exactly yeah. exactly the 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 the, the, the over optimism about the promise of technology and and modernity was already creeping into the Church. The right. Church in the United States, for example, had become very comfortable. If you look at, in my work at the Catholic Project at Catholic University, we, we deal with responding to the abuse crisis. The, the beginnings of the, the peak, the surge in, in, in abuse cases among clergy in the United States began before the Council. Right. Um, and so you had this Council that was called, and it was a moment of optimism and a time of, of, of foment, and there was a lot of excitement. And it was clear to a lot of people that the, the Holy Spirit was preparing the Church for something new. Mm-hmm. And I think we oh, there was a big assumption that this was going to be something new and good, and eventually it will be good. But I think um, there's a way of looking at the Council that sees it as preparing the Church for a time of trial that was coming. Yeah. And in this view, the, the Council didn't cause the crisis that followed. It didn't cause the turmoil that followed. It arrived just in time. Yeah. But yeah. It, a Church that had grown uh, sclerotic and... and, and, and um, and comfortable in, in ways that weren't good uh, in the late 1950s mm-hmm. and into the early 60s might not have fared so well through the 1960s and 70s as it did. Now, it, you might say, oh, well, it didn't fare very well. Look around you. Well, granted, but how do you know things wouldn't have been worse Much if it worse. hadn't been for the Council? If it hadn't been for the Council, we wouldn't have the, had the pontificates of Pope John Paul II. We wouldn't have had uh, Benedict XVI, these, mm-hmm. these great... Um, great post of great theologians who guided the church through some really tricky, tricky waters. One of the things that that struck me as I was, I remember as I was writing this this piece, and I, you know, I, like, I was born almost twenty years after the start of the council, 
the, the council opened on October 11th, 1962, um, to great fanfare. It was this great moment in the church. Within a week, the world was on the verge of nuclear war. Right, that's so right. The, the Cuban Missile Crisis happened the same week as the opening of the Second Vatican Council. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, it, I, I mention that just because I find these kinds of historical coincidences so interesting. And for people who weren't there or don't remember, that's it's worth keeping in mind what else was going on in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also a reminder that um, if the Council is viewed as being overly optimistic about human affairs... Uh, the Holy Spirit was aware of what was going on. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit knows that the world is is a dangerous and changing place, and I think we need to trust in Providence as much as we look uh, with a realistic eye at at human failings and inabilities. And the Church Fathers at the the Council Fathers weren't perfect, um, and the Church hasn't handled the, the ensuing decades perfectly by right. any stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God works, you know, his providence can make sense of all that. So I think, I think it's, it's worth remembering that we haven't seen the last of Vatican II. Um, that we, we can't assess it fully, even, even more than 50 years out. Right. Um, we won't know the fruits of it uh, probably for decades to come. I loved your uh, image of the desert. Uh, the desert is a hard place. Uh, it's hostile to life. And if we see ourselves as the, uh, you know, post-Exodus, uh, and we see ourselves as in the desert, one of the big problems for the Israelites in the, the, the 40 years was what uh, is called murmuring, complaining, uh, griping, grousing. That was one of the biggest problems they had while they were there. And uh, certainly there's been a lot of griping and grousing among Catholics, a refusal to accept the fact that we are going through a desert period. Uh, so I thought that was a—when you're in the desert, what do you do, Right. You fast, you pray, you try to survive. Uh, you remember yeah, the example I, I, of Jesus. I think, of, I think, yeah. I think two of the of the example, Pope John Paul II, we remember a lot of us recall that pontificate, at least early on, as a time of optimism, again, following on the council. Yep. And he spoke of, what did he say when he started his pontificate? Be not afraid. Right. And he talked about putting out into the deep. Yeah. Right. And and, and there was a sense that, and, and he was he drew on the council, in delivering these messages to the world. And the world, I think, a lot of times heard those messages as optimism or even as triumphalism. Right. Um, but but be not afraid is not something that you say to someone who has arrived at a place in time of comfort. And ease. <laughs> Put out into the deep is not a message for a people um, that has arrived at a safe shore. These are messages for people like us, who's often adrift, has lots of reasons to be afraid. I used to joke, you know, well, I guess I still do. If an angel ever appears to you and says, be not afraid, you should probably be afraid. <laughs> right? There's a reason he's warning you against the fear, because what's about to happen is going to be, by worldly measures, probably very unpleasant and terrifying. Right. Um, but it's what God will. So so I, there is, there is um, you know, we want God to purify his church. And then we're surprised when we find that unpleasant and painful. Right, right. Um, we, we need to do a little bit better in that. And I think the first thing is to have, have a little bit more trust in, in God's providence and know that He's taking care of the church, even if we can't see how He's doing that. Amen. John the 23rd's line was, I'm going to bed, Lord, it's your church. <laughs> I think that attitude is something that would, would serve us well these days. Stephen, thanks. Wonderful talking with you. I hope we can uh, get together again. I like that. I appreciate it. Thanks, Doc.